Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next two hours are devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and ships and sealing wax, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded, willing to challenge some of those old ideas behind what we think we know, who we are, and who we might just become. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, our chat room is open. And my pretty partner, Ravinder, awaits you there now. You can log on by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We do have an outstanding chat room, so Ravinder, tell us all about it, please. Yeah, I would invite everyone to come join us in the chat room. We have a great group of people, really stimulating conversation, and an extra dimension to the interview that you're carrying on it. In the air, so it's a uh, yeah, it's I'm on the air, on in the air. In the air. I'm juggling, huh? okay. <laughs> you multitask so beautifully. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so I would invite everyone to come join me. That's provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. All right, in this week's spotlight, we turn our attention to pomp and bluster, pomp and bluster of the spiritual sort. There is little doubt, but what most, if not all of you have encountered that person who knows everything there is to know about how one can be saved. They possess the exclusive truth, and if you will but follow their guidance, you too can be saved. Perhaps if you're at all like me, you've thought something like, uh, you know, I'll be saved when I can get away from you. There is, however, another sort of bluster that is even more pernicious in my mind more pernicious in the sense that it sneaks up on you. It begins with premises that sound oh so good because they make sense and pass the initial truth test. One such argument begins by suggesting that in the beginning there was God, the Creator, or in Aristotle's words, the unmoved mover, and the Creator divided itself and created all things. Now, this sounds just as logical as the proposition in physics that says, in the beginning there was singularity, and the Big Bang divided this singularity into all things. In other words, somehow singularity divided itself, since there was only singularity in the beginning. Now, the flow to this premise goes like this. Since in the beginning there was only God, and God divided himself, creating all things, then God resides both within and without. This premise naturally and logically follows the first premise. Therefore, some have argued, the obvious conclusion is that you are gods, all of you. And in today's parlance, that translates to You're entitled. After all, as a god, you should have everything. You deserve it because of your birthright, born as a god. All good things should flow to you because the gravity of your godly being is such that it literally pulls the benefits of life right out of the fabric of the universe and directs it to you. If you but accept the glory of who you really are, 
So let's think a minute about a God. Let's say a God that we would choose to emulate, to worship. Is this God selfish? Is this God intent on getting everything possible, making every fantasy, wish, or desire come true? I mean, maybe this God would like all of us to play some role, like actors in a Shakespeare play. In this scenario, the world is, what? I guess predetermined. We all have our roles. And some of us get goodies while others get thesis. There is no free will. This God has already chosen who our leaders will be, what our lives will be like, etc., etc. Now, is this a God we want to emulate or worship? Perhaps our God is a good God, who, like a good parent, knows what's best for us, so we're provided for accordingly. I don't know about you, but that's not my idea of God. Let's return to our syllogism, its premises and conclusion. Assume that in the beginning there is only the Creator, and the act of dividing itself creates everything, including you and me, the atoms, quarks, neutrinos, and more. Then the squirrel, the frog, the snake, the pig, the cow, the celery, the tomato, and so on. Everything is God. When you breathe in the air around you, you are breathing God. If the criterion applies that we are therefore all gods and deserve, what exactly is it we deserve? Does the chicken deserve to be farmed and slaughtered as it is? Does the dog deserve to be fattened and eaten? Indeed. Does anything in our world deserve to be treated the way most humans treat it? It would seem to me that if we are gods, we should behave as though we are gods, worthy of the title. I, for one, do not find comfort or peace in the idea of a self-centered, selfish God any more than I find reassuring the notion of a completely permissive parent. I would challenge you to think about what sort of God you are choosing to be and then compare that to the God you find worthy of worship. Your thoughts on this one, Ravinder? Oh, I really like this one. There is so much food for thought. You know, you really highlight the convenience of... Um, some of the information that is put out there, you know, you're a god, so you deserve everything, everything should come to you, all abundance, you're right where you should be. All of those things are such convenient answers when you think about, you know, we are all part of God, which means the chicken and the tomatoes are part of God too. I tend to think what we're supposed to be doing is appreciating the God in everything and treating it accordingly so what you had just said about you know the chickens in the chicken farms they don't deserve to be treated that way that's an element of god and it's just a convenience and i'm not going to go down my rant about animal cruelty and stuff today because i think everyone is aware but, of it but, but before but, you jump away from that I, it, it is important to draw the notion of tacit consent definitely. if indeed we don't think animals should be treated the way they are treated in our food process. They should be appreciated differently. Maybe if they're slaughtered, they're slaughtered like the Native American used to, mm -hmm. with honor, with respect, etc. If indeed that's what you believe, then turning your back on it and saying, yeah, but I'm not doing it, 
is giving tacit consent. In, in our society, it's actually endorsing it with your dollars. So I, I, I think that's worth... That is definitely my argument, and that is where I have come down to this last year. I am not participating in that anymore. So you have gone around with me to all the different stores finding cruelty-free products because I don't want to endorse that entire industry. We go organic wherever we can. I'm working on becoming vegan, but I, I refuse to be part of that. I don't want to be conveniently blind and I think lots of people are. They're just conveniently blind. The information is there. I have to tell you, folks, I'm going to interrupt her a minute. She <laughs> is so serious about this. She even checks the farms, dairy farms, for how many cows they have. Because when they have these thousand head of cows, she knows that they're being machine treated and handled like the numbers. She wants to get that farm that's got 50 to 100 cows, so I, she's not joking. I definitely do. I mean, if you've got a 1,000 head of cows, you cannot remember them all. If you've got 50, then you're going to treat them with you know a great deal more respect. So, yeah, when I'm buying organic milk that I'm trying to come off of, but I haven't managed to yet, but when I buy it, um, I have checked out the farms, and yeah, there is a popular dairy in the Spokane area, and when I looked it up, they have at least, you know, the average is a 1,000 head of cows, and the other one has the 50, so that's where I put my dollars. I will work at that one. That I do see the God in, or I try to see the God in everything. I'm working at it. It's a process. You do well. Okay. Every week I read some of your letters as our way of paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Last week, our guest was Judy Backrack, and we discussed her investigation of death journeys. Mabel wrote, I love the attitude of Judy Backrack. She is so easy to believe because she is not pitching anything. She is just telling us what she found. Elizabeth wrote, love your guest. I love that your guest is not religious. That lends a special credibility to her words. Consciousness survives death. Gwyneth wrote, wonderful show today. I liked your direct, no-nonsense questions. You never disappoint. Mark wrote, I would like to make two points regarding the radio show last week with Judy Backrack. First, she recounted the story of a lady she had interviewed, who upon passing saw black and white circles in the stars and heard the message that her life had been a joke and she did not exist and that her entire life, including her toddler, family, and everyone she knew had never existed. When she returned to her body and life, she said that it took her years to reconcile the idea of the message of non-existence with her daily life. For me, the notion that she did not exist is a contradiction, since she could not possibly be conscious and not exist at the same time. The prerequisite for consciousness is existence. Secondly, I applaud the way Judy conducted the investigation, attempting to root out any bias and get to the facts. Her findings that consciousness is independent of the body and exists after death seems compelling and raises further philosophical questions about the nature of existence and our place in it. However, it is important that we do not commit the error of introducing terms such as heaven, which are based either on pre-established religious or vague definitions to describe what those who passed on experienced. The standard of the fact-finding method of her investigation ought to be extended to further inquiry so that we can begin to establish a clear understanding of the nature of existence and our place in it, and not one skewed by religious interpretation. April wrote, I love your show, and I adore your Intertalk CDs. They have made such a huge difference in my life, all for the better. 
Jeff wrote, love your Intertalk CDs. I can really tell a difference at about three to four weeks, so I am returning for the round me out completely stuff. <laughs> well, good for you, Jeff. Claris wrote, my sister told me about your site, and I love it. I have been listening to Stress Free, and I must say that I am a lot calmer about things that are going on around me. Raymond wrote, I have started to use a few of your CDs, and I find the technology amazing. Grace wrote, I found about you, I found it I found about you after my husband passed away, and your Intertalk CDs on stress relief have been incredible. And James wrote, Intertalk is the future for learning in the world. Well, James, I think there's a lot of truth to that. All right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today, but I do invite you to opine by sending your comments to Eldon at eldentaylor.com or by joining me on Facebook. And I want to thank all of you for your letters and comments. They're truly important. We appreciate your feedback and your continued support. Don't we, Ravinder? Definitely love it. I caught you, didn't I? Busy. You didn't know what to say. Nod your head. All right. I always agree with you. You're perfect. <laughs> uh, I had a good one on you yesterday, though. <laughs> now to this week's show, Guided with Linda Deer. What does it mean to be guided? Do, spirits guide, do spirit guides appear to us? Or do they prompt us from within? If from within, is it the guides or is it intuition that nags at us? What does that still small voice within sound like anyway? And how do we know that what we hear is more meaningful than the constant interior chatter going on in our heads? When we really want something, is it our ego that directs us, reassuring us that we're doing the right thing? Can we trust this voice, this guidance? And if so, will it always be right? I mean, can it make a mistake and send us down the wrong path? Why not? If all things are not already known, if the world is not predetermined, then possibly even our angel guides can make mistakes. Is this idea acceptable? Is it possible that our spirit guides error from time to time? Do our angels actually know what will happen in the future, or are they more like just coaches, benevolent coaches? Are invisible friends truly loving beings, all of them? And how do we know they really exist? Is it possible that we listen to their guidance in order to avoid taking responsibility? Let the guides do the guiding, and then it's not our fault if we both fall off the proverbial cliff. So, do I invent messages in order to abdicate responsibility in the event of failure? Is that a possibility? This all seems somewhat complicated, so we'll let our guest address these questions today since she informs us that she has been guided throughout her life. Linda Deer is the Sedona-based author of Guided, her true life story about being raised by spirit guides. In addition to writing, she's a speaker, life coach, intuitive counselor, dream interpreter, and teaches individuals how to connect with her own spirit guides. Her bio states that she has been a successful serial entrepreneur since age 19 and is the founder of ChannelledReadings.com, where she has created an array of products and services to help people make contact with their own spirit guides. So on that, let's get her in here. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment. Linda, dear. Hi. Thank you for having me, Eldon. 
Well, it's indeed my pleasure. Looking forward to the conversation. You know, what we like around here, Linda, is to accomplish three things with every guest. Who is the messenger? What is the message? And then, of course, how do we use it? So let's begin with you. Uh, You have a truly interesting background as a child. You ran away from home as a toddler in diapers. Do you want to begin by sharing that story with us? And that is where it all started. Um, my, I grew up in a in an abusive family. My mother was the abuser, and until I did run away, until I took that leap at twenty months old, uh, ran out of op- options. I got and I had to get out of there. Um, at least in my mind, I had to get out of there. In my opinion. And I at twenty months of age, yeah. and, you, and you have good recall of this, right, oh, Linda? It, I, my life was in danger, Eldon. I I, yeah. I knew that something was wrong with my mom, and no one was stopping her. Okay, this, this so that was the part that was that was uh, that confused me the most. Gotcha. There, the, the, it's it was obvious to me that something was wrong with her. How come nobody else noticed that? Okay. So instead of waiting for somebody else to, to realize what was going on, I just took the initiative to get out of there. And I shook the gate loose. I got out of the front, out of the backyard into the front yard, looked down the great big wide street, and I for some reason knew where I, I was going in the right direction to find my dad. I knew that if I could find my dad, he would save me from her. That was, that was so solid in my mind. At 20 months old, in diapers, a baby snap-on shirt, and barefoot, I was gone. Wow. Okay. okay, so the, the police officers picked me up about three miles from home. I mean, I remember it as I got older, how far three I was. Three miles? Yeah. And I, wow. was on the, I was in the median of the expressway going in a direction I just was sure I would find my father. And they stopped. There was two um, men, police officers. That Now, this was in 1954. Okay? okay, a whole different world in 1954 than the one we live in now. Yeah, and they stopped and they 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 said they said where are you going? And little girl and I said I'm gonna go I'm going to find my daddy. Something's wrong with my mommy. And they put me in the car and they said and they asked me to point out how to get back to my house. And I wouldn't do it because I just went through all this work and effort to get out of there. I wasn't going back. You know, and um, I guess you might say I had a bit of a will. <laughs> Sounds like it. Okay. So anyway, they took me to the candy store. This was this is where they broke me down, right? The little kid, the twenty month old. Brainwashing at twenty months. All yeah, right? yeah. And, and they bribery, with, no doubt. Yeah, and they and they bought this candy for me that I that you know the stuff I liked, and and then they asked me to point out how to get them how to get back to my house. So at that point, you know, they had me. I, I pointed back how to get back to my house. And when my mom opened the door, she had the most shocked look on her face. It was like, oh, she went into immediate cover-up, okay? She was like the best actress on the planet. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, I, maybe my mom won't, you know, you know, maybe she won't beat me or something here, you know? Maybe she got over it. She's healed. Yes, maybe she was okay. with right. Maybe she, you know, got it. And... And the and so when the police officers were sure that I was okay and in good hands, 
they left, and my mom watched until they left. And, oh, man, that's when she, she beat me unconscious, okay? And when I woke up on the floor, and it, I, I woke up and right back in the hell I found myself, I tried to escape from, I, I called out for help. I was at 20 mo- months old. I was out of options. And, and my instinct, my knee-jerk reaction, without any reasoning, was doing what I did. It was to call out for help. And when I did, I got answers. I, they were all around me. The guides were all around me. I had no more fear. I was no longer afraid. I realized I wasn't alone. It was, it was all I needed to know. I, it was at that point, it was such a relief. I, you know, I, I didn't know how to reason it. I didn't know, I didn't realize how powerful that was to ask and get, and get a response. And so after that, I was no longer as threatened by my mom as I used to be. I realized that somebody really was there for me. Okay, you're 20 months of age. Yep. You get three miles away from your home. You're on a freeway or real, a main highway. There wouldn't have been a freeway in 1954, right. the way we think of them today. You're, you're, so you're on a state highway. In the medium of that state highway, when law enforcement picks you up and takes you to a candy store. <laughs> yes. Right? Yes. Okay. How on earth do you know... Your way home from that candy store. I mean, are you giving them directions in well, the car? Turn right here, turn left here. Yeah, I pointed out. I I didn't know what the street names were, but I knew how to get. I mean, my mom and dad had taken us out of the house enough times where I knew how to get. You know, in in that short distance, I knew how to get back to my house. That's incredible in and of itself. Most people have very few memories of 20 months you know, of age, this let is alone. One, this is one of the things. That kind of direction. you got homing pigeon in you. You know, you know, Eldon, this has been the, na- the, the story of my life. I have a memory that's unbelievable. I always have. I, I can remember things nobody can remember. And I don't, I really, to this day, I don't understand how come people can't remember things like it, to me, it's normal, okay? But I don't understand why they can't do it. I have to share a funny story with you on memory. I just can't avoid this one, Linda. It has nothing to do with guys, but yesterday was my birthday, and my wife decided she was going to pull off this big surprise. And uh, lately she's been complaining about her memory. She'll come into a room, like the, I have a recreation workout room. She'll come back. What did I come back here for? Oh, my memory. And, and she'll walk off shaking her head. I keep telling her, your memory's fine. That happens to everybody. But all right, I'm passing the kitchen in our offices, and I see the lights are off. So I stepped in, and she has all these gifts up on the table. So I grab them all, and I run them into the bathroom and put them in the shower. Okay, I get in the car and I drive away because I've got to pick my son up from high school. You know, that's about 45 minutes from my office. In a bit, I hear from my wife on the phone. What did you do with it? So what are you talking about? I have no idea what you're talking about. Do what with what? You know, 
I'm telling you, she was frantic. That's funny. I, I finally couldn't hold it. I broke up laughing, and she figured it all out. Bless her heart. She's a sweetheart. Isn't that right, dear? Yeah, and you're mean to me. <laughs> oh, Sharing all my private secrets on Facebook and now in the air. All right, Linda, we have a hard break. We're going to go to that. When we come back, I, I want to know more about your guys. I, I, you know, they appeared to you. You saw them. So we'll discuss that. We're speaking with Linda Deer about her life, work, and book, Guided. You can learn more about her by visiting Linda Deer, and that spelling on the last name is D-E-I-R, lindadeer.com. Remember to join Ravindra and Andrea in the chat room. You can do that by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Do stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. It's not your fault until you know better. Self-defeating, self-sabotaging thoughts can be eliminated. It may be difficult to accept, but the fact is magnetic resonance imaging shows us that your subconscious mind makes almost all of your decisions, while your conscious mind makes up reasons to explain your choices. In order to rid yourself of those self-defeating thoughts and ideas, the fear and doubt that can hold you back, you must change the way you talk to yourself. Nothing does this faster or better than our patented InnerTalk technology. Scientifically proven effective in the most rigorous of scientific studies, InnerTalk has repeatedly been demonstrated effective. Change has never been easier. Now you can improve your life almost automatically by rewriting the scripts hidden away in your subconscious. Guaranteed to work. No reason to wait. So don't delay. Go to innertalk.com today. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Must be a guardian angel watching over me. Must be a higher power that I never see. When I was a young man, the country was a bore. So many didn't understand what we were fighting for. So I took my number and I got in line. A lot of good friends' names were called, but they never once called me. Must be a Must be a power that I never see. And only in this highway with my fond loving friends, there's look a lot. Steel is a 
Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're chatting with Linda Deer about her life, work, and book, Guided, A True Story. Now, we ask our guests for three songs, songs that have genuine significance, real meaning to them. Music has been demonstrated over and over to have powers over the human psyche that can bring us back from a coma. So... We ask for this music because it provides some special insight into our guests. All right. Linda, we just played Guardian Angel, performed by Leroy Parnell. I think I can guess why this one is important to you, but you tell us. Well, it, it's all about being looked out for. Your guides, if, if you just listen, you, you, you know, you'll know, you'll get that gut feeling, that hunch, that intuition that insight that dream whatever it is it it, they speak to you they and they guide you and they protect you and they're always there it's us that aren't tapped into them it's us that miss these signals and signs this telepathy and this insight not them They're, they're always with us okay i have to ask you this when you when you you know use words like telepathy etc do you consider yourself to be psychic? Oh, yeah. Everyone is. All right. So I just want to kind of get that on the table. Let's go back then. I said that we would discuss your guides. Your guides appear to you. You're 20 months of age. How many of them are there? Describe them. Uh, you know, how do you know that they're uh, they're not real human beings? I mean, you know, how are you reacting to this other than, okay, I'm protected? This is my first this is the first time that I was, what, what would you say, um, shocked. The word shock is the right word here. Okay. Shocked so badly that I was absolutely open to what was possible. Okay. So People now will, it's, your, it's the shock that your mother right. brought to you, beating you unconscious, no, right? That, nope, that was not the shock. Okay, what the sh- is the shock? The shock was waking back up into this life, finding myself right back where I left off. Okay. That was the shock. It was bad enough what she did. It The shock of still being here. Imagine that, okay? That was, that was bad. That was a very low time moment for me when I realized this. And I was, in, I couldn't believe I was still here. In other words, Eldon, it would have been easier had she just took me out. Okay, at that point, it would have been right. easier. Okay, but so you, no, okay, but no, I found myself still here. Okay, uh-huh. and when I did that, now remember, I'm 20 months old. Yeah. I have, I, I'm closer to where I came from than actually being here. Okay, especially in my situation where I was in a violent abusive family I was with my mom okay she was awful and I, I I at that point leaving this place was would have been a pretty easy exit all right I wasn't real attached to this place <laughs> this story by the way I want to tell our listening audience this story uh, is on YouTube complete with uh, photos and uh, we'll be playing that in our chat room during uh the top of the hour break, but uh, it's incredible. I mean, when you say, 
imagine I'm 20 months old. I, I see you. I see the picture of you. I said, you know, in, in the white toddlers. I mean, I imagine it. It's very real. I, what I have difficulty imagining is how anyone could do that to a, a, an infant and how you possibly could have, you know, somehow manage to keep it all together and have the retention and the recall, et cetera, that you have. It 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 was the exact reason that I have it. <laughs> now that's really wild. The, the okay. fact the fact that I had to reach harder, farther, work harder, you know, stay stay more focused and concentrated. It's such and a horrible memory that it, you couldn't get rid of it if you wanted to. No, that's I had no the place to go. Ability that we're talking about, right? So you wake up and here are your guides. Right. What do they, they look were, like? They were, How many of them? They were, they were, okay, people think of their guides as physical forms and, and thick, thick, dense beings and, and angels with wings and all this kind of stuff, all right? Right, yeah. That's never been the case for me, ever, all right? To me, they've been, they've been, I'll start, I'll start where I remember them, okay? okay. They've been light. They've been warmth. They've been a feeling that's so strong, you know something is there, all right? They've been an awareness. They've been a connection. They've been a remembering, a familiar, a familiar feeling where, where I knew I came from. They were my friends, my old friends. These, that's who my guides are. And so when me, you came to, so I just don't, I want to yeah. continue picturing this. So when you came to, you're alone, you're on the floor, you're in your crib. Uh, no, I'm on the floor. I'm in shock as I wake up back up to this. And and this warmth suddenly surrounds you. And no, and I had to, I had to ask. Right. Okay. I'm sorry. That's right. You asked for help, and out then loud. it suddenly surrounded you. A- out loud. Okay, uh-huh. and and when I asked Eldon, I asked with my heart. I was out of options. Okay, I this there was no way I could have continued here, the way it, the with how I was operating. Okay, mm-hmm. and when I asked, that whole feeling, that whole en- energetic, that that uh, ambiance, that 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 love that support and that familiar those familiar friends I, were there okay okay and, now you use the word plural so discriminate How yeah there, there's friends? not one you see they never work in a single unit like we think of ourselves here mm-hmm. we think of ourselves as a single unit in this in this world in, in mm-hmm. these bodies okay as a human mm-hmm. And even we don't operate as a single unit. People think we do, but, you know, we only use 10% of our brains. So, I mean, of course we don't know this, all right? And, okay, so anyway, we're, when, when you realize these things, when you make this connection with your guides, with this energy, with this, with those, with the side that you came from and what you go back to when you leave here, you realize that there's no such thing as a single thing. These, this is a collective. This is a collective assigned to guide you, and we all have them. Okay, did, I mean, have you, you know, since then discriminated any of them? I mean, do they have names, or is this just 
the collective. You know, they'll give you names, Eldon, to entertain you. You know, they'll do that, all right? They'll give you names because it might be what you need to do, a person might need to do to connect with their guides. They might need to say, hey, Mike, you know, you're my guide. I'm going to call you Mike. And, and, And every time I use that, in the person that's requesting them to come through, it's it's for them. It's not for the guides. They don't need that. That's not how they work with you. They don't need a name. Okay, so let's get back. You're, you're 20 months old. You have this collective. You've suddenly got the support of all these friends. You now know where you've come from. You, you have a, re- a memory of where you came from. Right. Do you want to flesh that out, unpack that? Uh, wow. What do you mean by where you came from? Well, it, it goes so deep. It was, it's, it's like realizing something. Have you ever realized something? It happens. Love does this. When you fall in love, you feel that hit you. When you don't expect it, it makes you even cry. It takes you to your knees, okay? It catches you off guard. It's the real thing. So you realized you were from heaven you realized you were from a prior life you realized uh you you i realized i realized my essence my my full self in where i came from i realized my true self at 20 months of age you can't help it eldon yeah it's not let me ask you this yeah. No, no, I, you know, I, I'm just, I, again, I want, I mean, I want to see this, feel it, because you're so willing to share um, how, well, you know, how the whole thing happened. Had you ever been to church prior to this? I mean, were you, were, it doesn't sound like your family was religious, but then some religious people live, you know, some interesting lives in the closet. So had you had any religious exposure prior to this? You know, that's really what really makes this interesting is I was raised in a family who who told us, my dad said to me, he, I said, Dad, do you believe in God? This was when I was older. Mm-hmm. He said, he goes, you know, he they had a bad taste of religion from their upbringing, my mom and my dad. Mm-hmm. And they said, no, they said, um, it's not that we don't believe in any of this or anything. We're just disgusted with the church. Uh, my dad was groomed to be a priest get that Mm. okay and they were just disgusted with the church and they said you will find your own way we were never brought up with religion at all so at 20 months you had no no reason at all to expect that there was anything other than than this life and you were in an abusive family and your mother had just apparently attempted to kill you in a rage or had lost control and in her rage beaten you unconscious and i have that down right right okay that's pretty extreme adversity and i can understand how someone you know could have difficulty getting rid of that kind of a memory but what did you do at that point uh how i mean how did these invisible helpers this this collective love that surrounded you how did it do more than reassure you that if you were killed, you'd somehow continue to live? It calmed me down. It calmed me down. It, kept, it, it was the first step into not taking it personally, what, what was going on around me. And I know that sounds, that was the real early part of me just be, 
beginning to baby step into what it was that they were presenting to me. See, they don't teach you anything, Eldon. Your guides don't teach you a thing. Okay. What they do is they present things to you, like the yellow brick road. They okay. put things on your path that you choose to step into and experience uh-huh. or not. So, just again, to flesh this out, what we have now is you're 20 months of age. You realize that, you know, your, your quintessential self is not the trapped in this body uh, for eternity. Um, you're you're now uh, feeling more sheltered, protected, and I take it you must have, you know, integrated that into feeling your mother was sick, and it wasn't about you; it was about her. That's right. That's exactly right. And even though I didn't understand what that was, okay, I mean, as I got older, I got more confused about you know what happened to her, you know. Something happened to my mom that made her, you know, blow off like this over and over again throughout her life. And that's, that was really, you know, that was another reason. You know, when you're born into this life, here's a, here's a really hard thing for people to wrap their brains around, is that we pick the people, the families that we choose, that we come into, we choose them. So can you imagine I chose something like this? to come into? Well, I'm sure that by now you've got some karmic uh, obligation you've figured out you must have brought to this life in order to do that. Well, it made me, it, it made me as, as I roll forward here, it made me into the person that I am. You know? It allowed me to reach deeper and understand what's really going on here so in it was a very unique that way. made it possible for you to carry out your life purpose. Yeah, it did. Right, what's your relationship with your mother like today? Well, my mom passed away uh, in 2006. Okay. And when she, just before she did, you know, I, I didn't talk to my mom. I, I, I knew, I just stayed away from her. I had nothing in common with her, you know. She never stopped. Uh, she never stopped trying to take me down. She never stopped. I mean, it just was constant. She just hated me, you know? Anyway, um, when she was dying, she called me like a couple weeks before she passed over. And she said, uh, she just told me that my daughter ripped her off for $46,000 and that she wanted to see that she paid for what she did to my mom. Now, I hadn't talked to my mom in, gosh, probably been... 20 years. I, I mean, I, it was very sparse when it happened. My dad died. There was my mom, you know, I mean, certain things like that. But, mm-hmm. but when, when she got into this, she was really vindictive and nasty and awful. And I said to her, I said, do you realize that you're dying? And she said, yeah. And she went right back into wanting revenge and gossiping about people and doing all the things she did I, that she always did throughout her life, you know. Eldon, I was completely shocked. <laughs> yeah. Well. I was shocked. I'm going, I can't believe it. Here's a person completely going to leave this world, not ever, ever getting it. I just, in my world, that made absolutely no sense. What what an interesting, how interesting that was for to see that, you know? Right. 
and it, how difficult at the same time, because clearly that bond was never repaired, and it is a natural one, and so you pass, she passed in a state of alienation. It, it, it was, you know, I didn't look at it like that. Again, your guides, when you work with your guides, they teach you not to take this stuff personally. It's mm-hmm. not you. That's somebody else, you know? I honestly didn't feel any of that when my mom died. I didn't. Let me ask you this, because the psychologist in me says, you know, that that's admirable. On the other hand, is it denial? I, the, the fact of the matter is, how do you know that these are your angels, your guides, and this isn't, you know... Uh, mechanisms that are there to protect you. Uh, we call them psychological mechanisms. And so you are, you know, it isn't that you don't believe that this is going on, but is it possible that that somehow you are generating this at an unconscious level? You know, that's that's a good one. I That would be when I was a little kid, when I realized what was going on around me, and it was going, it was going, it was nonstop. One, it's, it's one thing leads to the next, to the next, to the next, okay? It made me more sane, not less sane, okay? It, well, when it, you're talking about sanity, yeah. we're just talking about normal defense strategies. I mean, we are made in such a psychological way that we are going to do all sorts of things from justify, rationalize, uh, sublimate, etc., in order to find methods that we can live with ourselves, we can like ourselves, and we can we can find value. Let me just step sideways from that for a minute. Much of your book is about dreams, and according to behavioral science, our dreams are orchestrated by our unconscious and often express our fears and world to resolve themselves of unresolved conflict, the kind that you would have been forced to deal with with your mother. And and further, I mean, because you had repeating dreams, I think for over 30 years, where repeating dreams are concerned, there's a theory that's called threat simulation. And what it does is it states that the biological function of dreaming is to simulate threatening events and then rehearse the threat avoidance over and over. So in in a you know gestalt theory basically views recurrent dreams as representing a person's current state of psychic uh, difficulty, and you know I guess my question is this: Is it possible that the dreams you have, or that uh, the voices in your head, the invisible aspect of this coaching that goes on, is? can be explained according to some psychological theory, or do you have, at least in your own mind, tangible evidence that, no, that's not what it is? Well, probably the, the most uh, interesting part, where, where the dream I had, the merry-go-round dream, from the uh-huh. first time I could remember until, until I was 35 years old, all right? Right. And what caused it to stop then? What caused it to stop is I started taking dream classes, and I started understanding what these dreams, and the the merry-go-round dream was just the most profound dream I had, but I've had dreams my whole life that showed me things, all right, that that guided me. And when when I went to the dream classes, Eldon, 
I, I really, the dream, the merry-go-round dream, stopped. Uh-huh. So I can only surmise that once I started stepping into the whole reason for having this merry-go-round dream, to understand that, what these dreams are really all about, what they're telling us all the time. Did did the dream stop? It was like it was pointing me in a direction that I finally stepped into. Okay. And, and of course, you know, a lot of dream therapy, and we've interviewed several people on that. I have a couple of favorites of mine, indeed, a psychologist here in Washington uh, that I've chatted with at great length, which has been on the show a number of times. But, you know, dream theory would have us basically look at our dreams, uh, look at them in story form, and attempt to, as you know from the classes, uh, determine what the, what's the message in the dream and, and why am I having the dream. And that would be something that we would do as just a part of, you know, uh, our, our own self-discovery. It, it would be something we would do independent of guides. I guess that's where I'm getting. So what I really was trying to lead you to is is the remarkable story you tell of your guides materializing. Uh, I'll just say stuff. The materialization that was uh, produced around a photo. We have a break coming up, and I and I don't want to cut you off. So I'm, we're going to leave the audience dangling on that. When we come back, will you share with us this materialization, Linda? I'd love to. All right, great. If you would like to know more about Linda Deer, her work and book, Guided, visit her website at Linda Deer. That's L-I-N-D-A-D-E-I-R dot com. Now we have a video, the one I mentioned for uh, during uh, our conversation for you during the break of our guest discussing her life and work. There's a visual that you'll see her at 20 months of age. You don't want to miss it. You can check it out by joining the chat room. Just go to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. What is one thing you wish you could change about yourself? What if you could make that change happen with the click of a button? With InnerTalk, Eldon Taylor's patented and scientifically proven and effective technology, change begins to happen the moment you hit play. InnerTalk works by priming how you talk to yourself and when your inner self-talk aligns with your outer goals. Anything becomes possible. Visit www.innertalk.com to find your towel today. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor.
Welcome back. If you're just joining us, we are speaking with Linda Dare about her life, work, and book, Guided, A True Story. Now, Linda, we just played your second musical choice, Are You Ready for a Miracle, sung by Patti LaBelle. So tell us, why is this one important to you? You know, when I was a kid, uh, I, I, I didn't have any friends when I was a kid. I didn't want those friends, Okay. <laughs> I was okay. very selective, Eldon. I was too smart to pick just anybody to be my friend, all right? Okay. So th- the guides taught me well. And so when I was in school, I grew up in uh, the majority of the kids in my neighborhood were African-American kids. Mm-hmm. And to me, those kids made the most sense. Those were my ch- friends of choice. So when I um, when I relate to this song... I learned to dance with these kids. I learned to fight with these kids. <laughs> I learned to communicate back and forth with these kids. They never lied to me. They they were straightforward. They were honest. They were very intuitive, very. Because they had they had been repressed in their life just like me. So for me, the African American kids made the most sense. So the revival music reminds you of the African-American church when you were young. Well, it was, we used to go dancing when I was in the seventh grade. We used uh-huh. to go dancing at the Baptist church, which was called the Way Out House. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and the kids were all, all my, all the kids I went with there with, I mean, 99% of them were African-American kids. And I mean, to tell you, they're the best dancers. You know what I'm saying? Sure, I and do. I learned to dance from them. Th- those guys were just, they just were the best. They were the best singers, the best dancers, the best athletes. I was a, I've always been an athlete my whole life. And they're, they're just, they, I lined up with them. They made the most sense. So outside of the fact that they were, you know, they had their religion, whatever it was, you know, I wasn't religious, but I, I mean, I really liked these guys. They made the most sense to me. So that's why the song, it's just, it's a powerful song. You, you just can't not feel good when you hear that song, you know? It's a powerful song. Amen, amen. <laughs> All right, before the break, <laughs> I, I asked you about materialization, but I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to ask you to hold that because I, I didn't have you unpack the merry-go-round dream. You had this for 35 years. You attended a a dream class, the dream stop that would presume that you have determined why you were having this dream and what the message was. So, again, unpack that for us, please. Well, you know, it really, I didn't understand what the, what the total message was in, with that dream mm-hmm. until I actually wrote the book Guided. I mean, when I wrote that, when I wrote Guided is when it really showed up, okay? Because when you sit down and you write a book like this, it, 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 it's there. I mean, the guides are with me. I'm writing it with them. I'm co-creating this book. I'm not writing this book by myself, Eldon. Okay. Uh-huh. And and so I have a whole lifetime of working with my guides and, and, and creating a life with them, not on my own. I know they're they're always with me, and they, they, they give me guidance all the time. I have a very smooth communication with them. So um, in the dream, when I was started taking the dream classes... I, w- I was, once again, the guides came through and pretty much picked up 
where they'd where they'd always been, but they took me to new levels when I started taking dream classes. They started teaching me precision flying. Now, this isn't in the book, what I'm going to tell you right now. This is just one other thing, just one other thing that they taught me, not taught me, but pointed me to, and I, and I, I accepted the challenge, okay? Right. And, okay? And what they did is they taught me precision flying. What they taught me to do is they, they allowed me to fly. Boom, I was off and running, okay, in these dreams. And then they they say, okay, that's good, Linda. That's we're you know that's very good. Uh huh. You can fly. That's great. Okay, now let's let's work on the the small increments. Let's just come up one foot from the floor and hold it. It was the hardest thing to do, Eldon. <laughs> they taught me, and that's why I call it precision flying. This could show up in another book. And when they taught me. To do this, it was like I had to really focus my energy to hold it in that one place. Mm-hmm. And then, then they'd say, okay, now go back down. And I'd, and I'd be standing on the, on the ground again. Then they'd, get, they'd say, okay, um, come up two feet off the floor and, and hold it. And I would do this. They'd teach me this night after night after night. I mean, they were teaching me precision energy work they were i mean it sounds like flying but really they were teaching me so much more than that when they were doing this with me all right that's just one thing they taught me and then and then they'd say okay it's it's i get in a dream after they were teaching me all this and i get in a dream and i could fly and boom i take off and i go wait a minute you know if I, i i i know that there's a balance between this precision flying and what I'm supposed to learn, and this just taken off. Now, you you know about snakes, snakes, baby snakes. When when snakes are are newborns, when they're babies, and if rattlesnakes, if they bite you, they spend all their venom. They 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 have nothing That's left. Right. Okay, yeah. but when they get older, they they've mastered the the art of releasing their venom and still having venom to protect Defense. themselves. Right. Right. Okay, well, there's something about the way that they were teaching me to use my energy with precision, use my energy with uh, consciously, deliberately, instead of letting my energy use me. Do you see what what I mean? Okay, so yeah. they, they were teaching me. This is just one thing. Okay, they, they, they've come through and and they and they present themselves. And when when we talk about guides. Uh, spirit guides and angels, all right? When I use that language, I'm using the language that people understand here, okay? Okay. When I see them, none of them have wings. So how could I call them angels, Eldon? Do you see them as individuals? I, I, I know I've asked that again, but are you just, when no, you see the them, only you time see them collectively? I, well, no, I can't say that. You know, the photograph on the front cover of Guided, mm-hmm. have you seen it? Yeah, of course. We've got yeah. the book right here in my hand. I read oh, the book. Okay. Looks like maybe a, a spinal cord of uh, a human being and some stretched out uh, wave of light. You know, right. maybe like an overexposed X-ray. There you go. That would describe it. Now, that's a pretty dense uh, oppor- where I got an opportunity to capture a pretty dense form of what they look like when they appear. All right. 
a lot of times to people what they appear as is shadows. That's why they call them ghosts. But my, my I don't have I don't have that experience. I have light. I have this is light. When you see this spirit guide angel on the front of the of guided, the photograph I took 20 years ago, 21 years ago, in 1994, and when I took that photograph, that the she appeared in the room right out of nowhere. All right, bigger than life. And I happened to have a camera in my hand. <laughs> okay, so I took the picture, and when I took the picture, she completely dissipated. I say she because I I feel it to be a female form. That's my personal feeling about it. All right, and um, and so and she's beautiful. I mean, she's about as beautiful as it gets. It's just the the full body, including the face. If you look at the top of it, you can see the face breathing out. All right. And and she and they came to me in a dream about and they now you hear me move to the they, because I know that even though this looks like a single unit when you see the front of guided, this is this is a collective this is a collective energy all right, and so when they came to me in a dream about a couple months later, they told me that I was going to write this book. They said it would be about relationships about relationships with my guides and explaining this to people, it would be easy to write and that they appeared so the world could believe. Okay, so you've covered the materialization. We, uh, and that was the photograph that you took of uh, the collective that, that, that we just That sat described. on my mantle for but 20 years. still for 20 haven't years. told me what the merry-go-round dream was about. The, the merry-go-round dream was about my job in this lifetime. I Going mean, round I, and round? I, my job in this lifetime was to help people realize that, that to keep, to help people realize that, that living a fear-based life is not the answer. I mean, the, the whole world is living a fear-based life, Eldon. And in this dream, with all these people going into fear, Going into fear, letting go, flying off the merry-go-round dream, and dying, okay, that that was so shocking to me. I was always the only one left on that merry-go-round. I couldn't believe it. It was the best feeling. I, It was the best dream I ever had until so these would, people, until these people started dying. It would go round dying. and round and round until everyone it, died. It would go faster and, and faster, right. and as it speeded up, people got scared let go, and died. So the representation here is if you allow fear to take over, you go, you, you know, you escape the merry-go-round? Uh, well, well what, or, what the lesson was in this dream, and they, they came through, as I wrote Guided, they even got more clear about what, these, what this was all about. Okay. Okay, and what, what they, the way they explained it in the book Guided is they said that the biggest tragedy of our times is going to be that people will have died living fear-based lives. That's the biggest okay. tragedy. So I want to get to that, too, but uh, let's flesh out a couple of other things that we can here because this, this whole subject of guides is very intriguing. Uh, you heard the setup piece. Can our guides be wrong, or do they know everything because it's predetermined? Well, here's how it works. It's really not about your guides being right or wrong. 
Mm-hmm. It's about the person getting the information. The person has to be able, they have to know who they are. And I really have to step through this. This was the first thing my guides pointed me in the direction of learning, was finding out who it was that I am. Until you know who you are, you can't trust yourself because you don't know who you are. And when you trust yourself, when you can trust yourself, the guidance that comes through, you know because you trust yourself, because you know yourself, you know what what you can act on or not. It's not about your guides being right or wrong, Eldon. Now, Linda, a, I, I've talked to a lot of channels over uh-huh. the years and, and a lot of psychics, and they're open that sometimes they just get it wrong. They just they just misunderstand. They just get it wrong. Well, then, if you if you know who you are, I'm going to go back to the same point. If you know who you are and you... And when you know who you are, you can therefore trust yourself. Okay, my You're question going to is, know have that you guy. ever got it wrong yourself? Have, have you I ever got, got it wrong? Have I ever gotten it wrong, the guidance that I got from my guides? Yeah, I mean, have you ever misunderstood them? Have you ever, you know... I'll tell you uh, how I got is... it wrong. Uh, yeah, I've gotten it wrong. Here's how I got it wrong. I didn't act on it. <laughs> okay, so the information you've received has always been solid. The only time there's been an error is when you didn't act on it. That's right. And, That's... and, and so now, for our audience, what criteria do you use to separate your own self-talk from your guide talk? Now, that's where, that's, that, could, that is definitely, <laughs> see, I don't do that to myself, Eldon. That's why if you know, I'm going to go back to this again and repeat it because it's really important. If if you know who you are, that's so critical. That was the first curriculum that I was given by my guides is to learn who it was I am. The very same thing that I learned when I learned who I was and, be, and I was so solid in knowing who I was, it also made me the outcast throughout my life. All right? All right, there's a lot of literature in the, in the mystical circles about the still small voice within. When you say, when I know who I am, are you talking about, okay, I know that I am quintessentially a spiritual being, and therefore no, I'm listening no, to... No, no, okay. no. That's cliche. That's really cliche. I'm talking about really knowing who you are, okay? I'm talking about stepping into every, every challenge that you're, that you're given in your life. And willingly taking it on, no matter what the consequences are, because there's consequences whether you step into it or not, okay? And it, it, it's basically living a, a fear-free life, not letting fear run your life. Okay, That's I very understand different. that, but what's that got to do with guides? It's got everything to do with it. I don't need a guide to live a fear-free life. Well, you you have guides, but if you're living in fear, you're gonna your interpretation of what they're showing you is going to be really different than somebody who's not. All right, you uh, indicate that there is a qualitative difference in guides. Flesh that out for me. I mean, how are your guides different than everyone else's? Uh, the only difference between my guides and somebody else's is that I have a constant connection with them. I know who I am. I trust what 
information I'm getting, I know I'm not making it up, okay? I'm not saying something. I'm not self-talking myself into something. I call it delusional, okay? I, I know I know better than that. I've seen delusional. I had delusional all around me as I grew up. I had my fill of that. So I know the difference. All right. I, I'm not sure that I do based on that explanation, but I'll leave it alone. Let's go to the core of your message. You say fear is the underpinning force that impaled you as a child, that liberated you when when you met your guides, and uh, and now it's what holds everybody back. And, uh, and you spend a lot of time, um, you know, counseling other people, coaching other people, uh, as to how to let go of their fear. So what is it you would tell our audience to do now with this message? How do they get in contact with their guides and, and have this level of trust you're discussing? And what exercises or, or whatnot have you, do you provide people when you're coaching them to overcome fear? Okay, first of all, it, it's about living a guided life. And it's not, it's not a product, a slogan, a seminar, a course, or the latest spiritual fad or something like that. It's a process. It's a process that everybody already has. They just need to realize that it's working for them. It's already there. It's like, let's talk about the difference between meditation and, and being guided. In a meditation, you have to stop your life and you have to empty your mind. When you're guided, you, that's, it's the opposite of that. It's with, with a similar effect. You, you don't stop your life. You just become more aware in your life. And, and you don't empty your mind. When you become more aware, again, again, the foundation to this, Eldon, is getting to know who you are. And so you have to go back to the, to wherever that, that was interrupted. Usually it's in childhood. It's real early on in our lives. And you go back to that beginning and you reignite your curiosities. What were those curiosities? What, what was that, that thing you felt, that, that excitement you felt, and bringing that back on the table, remembering it, and you have to write it down. If, if you don't write it down, it's so faint at this point that you have to start back with baby steps, going back to the beginning. And these are the ways that I teach people to do it. I, re, I, I, I help them remember what that was, in, and everybody's different. And we start from there. And they start with a journal, and they keep a journal, and they start making it, dating it, and, and putting in their journal what comes to mind, what messages they're getting, what signs they're getting, what impressions they had that day. And they start making... They start taking it out of the ethers and putting it, cementing it into this world by writing it into their chronological journal. What, I mean, give me an example. I, I hear what you're saying, but give me an example. I mean, just put some flesh on this skeleton. 
you, someone you worked with, and um, you know they went back and they remembered at a given point, and then they began, and and da 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 da. Give me an example. Wow. Uh, everybody starts out doing exactly what I what I told you, what I explained to you in that process, in that sequence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everybody starts out like that, mm-hmm. they, and they begin. And as I work with them, and they start telling me some of their dreams as we're working through this, and they start to remember things. And they can, and can they, you give me an example of a client? That's what I'm asking you, Linda. You know, make up a name. You know, don't divulge yeah. anything. But I, I once I saw John, and uh, you know, John was stuck in his life, and uh, I had John. Uh, you know, go back to his earliest memories of when he suffocated off his inquisitiveness. And John remembered. And can you give... That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, well, man, there's just so many of them. I mean, I, I don't even, I've never... No one's ever asked me this question before, Eldon. So I'm not really... You know, I've always been careful not to disclose anything, right, about people mm-hmm. and keep it mm-hmm. keep it mm-hmm. quiet. But um, there, was, there was this guy that... that I was a home builder in the 70s and 80s, and I built his home, and and I was coming back to uh, California, and uh, he called me the week before I was coming back, and, and I and it was a very coincidental, if there is such a thing, and he had um, been diagnosed with cancer, and he was he very religious family. In fact, his wife was very religious, and he said, I've been having, um, you know, I'm, I'm afraid of dying. I don't know if uh if i can if i can beat this thing linda but i felt inclined to call you and so he goes will you come and see me when you come out to california but don't but give me a call make sure that my wife's not here when you come because she thinks that i'm losing it all right you know last resort now he's going to get in touch with himself and finally get around to it right all right now that's cool and and this is what i want to hear this is a great story and i asked you at the wrong time because we've got this computer and this computer is going to say if you want this show syndicated you'd better shut your mouth real quick (laughs) so when we come back you you can finish telling us this story all right okay we're glad you tuned in today we know you have many choices and we're grateful you chose to join us we love your feedback so please join me on facebook and or drop me an email at eldon at eldontaylor.com. I love sharing your letters and comments on the show, and that's how you get them there. We'll be right back after paying some bills. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Hi, I'm Eldon Taylor, and you're listening to Provocative Enlightenment Radio. I'm so glad you could join me as we tackle those tough questions in search of the answers that really matter. But remember, this is a journey we are undertaking together, so I would love to hear your thoughts as well. Please send your comments to Eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N, at eldontaylor.com. You can also join in the conversation by joining me on Facebook at Dr. Eldon Taylor, that's D-R-E-L-D-O-N-T-A-Y-L-O-R. Now, back to the show. Destroys the night, night divides the day. Try to run, try to hide, break on through to the other side, break on through to the other side. 
chased our pleasures here Dug our treasures there back. We've been chatting with Linda Deer about her life, work, and book guided. In this half hour, we will take your calls. So if you have questions, give us a call or advance your comments and questions in our chat room. And remember, I do love your comments and feedback, and a great place for that is on Facebook. So I invite you to join me there today. All right, Linda, we just played Break On Through to the Other Side, performed by The Doors. Why this one? Oh, man, this is the best part, Eldon. This is what it's all about. It's about breaking through to the other side before you get there. (laughs) Gotcha. (laughs) This is where they all reside. They're just waiting for us to wake up and get it. All right. Well, now, you were telling us a story, and before I go to the questions from the phone in the chat room, I want you to finish the story. This gentleman who you built a home for had cancer, wanted to to talk with you, but when you came back to California, make sure his wife wasn't there. Pick it up. Okay. Well, before, when I, when I was building his house, he knew I was into dreams. He knew uh-huh. about all the study I had done with it and what I'd learned about, you know, the different things I learned about myself from it. So that's, what incl- that's why he was inclined to call me at that time. Okay. And so when I did show up, you know, it was about a week after he called me, I I told him, I said, make sure that you write down your dreams, because I want to see those when I get there. Your dreams are going to point us in the right direction as to what, what it is that needs to be done, all right? So he okay. did that, and when I got there, his wife was gone, and he was very fearful. He was so afraid of, of that he might die, and... um. And so he brought his dreams out, and he, he, the one dream that really stood out was the one where there was a, there was a glass jar on his coffee table, and it was filled with these crystal, um, pebbles, like something like marbles, but not real even, you know, just like stones. Mm 
mm-hmm. and they were real clear, a little pink haze to them. And he said, we're supposed to work. They told me in the stream that with this, with this bottle of crystals, we're supposed to use this to help my, my white blood cells get back into balance with my red blood cells. And I went, okay. <laughs> I said, okay. I said, I could feel what he was talking about as he was telling me this. And I said, okay, here's what we're going to do, Tom. We're going to, together, we're going to, you're going to sit where you're sitting, and I'm going to sit where I'm sitting, and we're going to focus on that bottle of crystals in that jar. We're just going to focus on it. We're we're not going to meditate. It's not hard. It's not something you have to learn to do. It's something you're just going to, you're just going to gaze at these and maybe kind of just drift off a little bit, but just focus on them, and I'm going to do it with you. And we focused on them. And when we, I guess we did it for maybe five minutes. And when we were done, he just looked at me and he goes, I have my appointment. It was a Friday. And he goes, I've got my appointment with my doctor on Monday. And it's to do another test to find out where my white blood cells are, where my white blood count is. And if it's still in the dangerous range, they're going to start me on chemo. And, um, and I said, okay. And, and I said, well, just let me know how it works out, you know. And mm-hmm. then right after that, his wife came home and, and you know, everything changed and the, and the baby woke up and, you know, everything got interrupted. But we had quiet time and that perfect time to do this then. I went back. I was there for maybe four days. I went back home and Tom had his uh, test on Monday and they called me. And, and, they, and even his wife got on the phone and she said, I can't believe this. She goes, his white blood cells are, are right back into, into normal. He won't have to have the chemo. And, and she said, I don't know what you guys did, but I can't thank you enough. Tom got back on the phone. I said, I want to talk to Tom. He got on the phone, and I said, okay, here's what we're going to do, Tom. I got the guidance at this point of what to do next. I said, I'm at 7 o'clock every night. I'm going to sit in my bedroom alone for 10 minutes, and I'm going to focus on that jar of crystals, just like we did in your living room. And you need to do the same thing on your end at the same time, and we need to do this for one month. And I said, that's what I'm going to do. Okay. So I did it for the month, and about halfway through it, I called Tom, and I said, Tom, are you doing this with me? Because I could feel there was nothing there on his end. And he said, and he was kind of ashamed, and he said, no, I'm not. And, and I said, well, that's okay. I, I said, you know, there's no such thing as right or wrong, good or bad or whatever. I said, you're not doing it. You're not doing it for some reason. I said, trust in everything. Don't fight any of this. And his blood, white blood count stayed great. He was fine. In fact, they thought he was out of the woods. So then after the month and I quit doing it, things started going, it started going against him. And and ultimately, like three months later, he died. He died because, you see, you see, there's a point, Eldon, where you help people, and you're and they ask you for. First of all, they have to ask you for the help. You can't just help somebody. It's like barging into their life. You've got no business there. So you've got to get the permission to do it, and then 
what I did with him, I had the permission to do, but he didn't do the follow-through with me for some reason. Something bigger was going on that I didn't even understand. And at the end of that month, in my agreement with him, I stopped doing it like I told him I would. And and fate, you know, played its course here, okay? When he, but he was no longer afraid. See, this is the whole point. When when he was done, and that month was, was over, and I called him and I said, now, Tom, I'm just letting you know that I did this thing for a month on my end, and I'm stopping like I told you I would, you know? And he said, yeah, and, and I said, how are you doing with this? He goes, I'm not afraid anymore, Linda. And I said, good. I said, for some reason you didn't do this, and then, you you know, I'm stopping now, and we're just, you know, and you're not afraid, and it's going to do what it's going to do. It, you're... No one, I mean, no one should interfere with that, Eldon, you see? So even though it worked, it it took a different course because he made a choice and he made it from not being in fear. Okay. My question was really, what would someone do if they didn't talk with you about this? How would they begin? But that's okay. You know, let's uh, let's deal with other questions first. And if we run out of them, then I come back. I've got lists and lists for you, Linda. <laughs> let's go to the phones. We have Jeannie in New York. Uh, Jeannie, welcome to Provocative Enlightenment. You have a question for Linda. No, I have to just tell Linda, who is a compadre of mine. Hello, Linda from New York. Oh, how sweet this is. And I have to tell, thank you, love, and I have to tell everybody her book is marvelous, and so is she. We first met on a show together. There were, what, four four of us gals? Yeah. And it was fantastic. And... We were, we're all intuitives, we're all healers and psychics in our own way, and our function in this world is to help. And everything Linda just said is 100% correct. All right. We appreciate you calling, Jeannie. It is uh, my pleasure, and you, my dear, are a doll. Thank you, Jeannie. <laughs> a pleasure, Linda. <laughs> All right, let's go to the chat room. Out of the chat room, Richard says, she's not the only one who's ever been without options and have cried for help. What makes her different? Uh, you know, I don't know. I'd have to talk to that person to find out what, exactly what, what they're referring to. It would, well, it would, when you you're know, a child, when you were 20 months, of, 20 mm-hmm. months old, you wake up. And you're in shock, and you cried for help. You got help. But you know, Richard's when I, question when I, when is, I cried other for people help. have done that, and they yeah. didn't get help. Yeah, yeah. So let's, let's assume that they were older when they remember doing it. I'm sure that everyone's done it, but they maybe didn't remember it when they did it the first time. All right? I happen to remember it early on. But when, when you ask for help, when the baby, when the 20-month-old baby asked for help, the 20-month-old baby asked with its heart. It's the intention that I asked with that that made this all possible. It's when you ask with your heart. If you just ask for it, let's say you just go, you know, how about a million bucks, you know? (laughs) There's no heart in that. Or if you ask for somebody else, it's a whole different energy 
a whole different feeling, uh, intention, when you really want to help somebody else than when you're asking for yourself. All right. So the answer is you were helped because of intention or right. intensity or and yep. all right. Um, out of the chat room again, CB asks, what are some uh, clues to follow from potential personal guidance for those who may not have fully developed knowing oneself? Or how does a guidance newbie who may not fully know oneself know they are getting help from their guidance group? Okay, here's, here's what you need to do. You need to start writing down the guidance that you suspect you're getting. And date it. Put it in a notebook and keep it in chronological order. And don't look back at it for a month. And then when you look back at it, you're going to know, you're going to know the the the, the the you from the them. You're going to see. You're going to know immediately. You're going to see the difference between what you're telling yourself and what guidance that you're actually getting. That's clear guidance. You have to write okay. it down. You have to bring it out of the ethers, and you have to put it into this world. And it manifests itself to you as a storyline. No, it's all it's all it's it's all disjointed. Uh-huh. It's pieces of this and that. There, there. No, this will this will usually not be a flow a fluid flow of information. That will happen later. But in the beginning, it'll be sporadic, static. It'll, some things that come through will be, uh, you know, what was that? And that, you can be sure, did not come from you. Are you supposed to keep a journal of what goes on yes. in your life as well as the dreams? So you can look, I mean, yes. maybe Elden. last night I had a dream that seemed really silly, but three days from now, it's not so silly in light of what takes place on that given day. Do you, I mean, are you keeping concurrent diaries of that kind? Absolutely. Of, of your dreams as well as in your day life as, in terms of what happens, what you okay. think, what you, what you might think you thought versus what came through, through you instead of from you. Do you, do you have a template for that that you use with Not people? at all. Nope. Okay. You just do it the old, you do it the old fashioned way, Eldon. You just start doing it. There's okay. no preparation. It's already happening. All right. Mark out of our chat room asks, how do you know whether a guide is of the light? Can there be imposters who mimic guides? Well, I've never had the experience of having somebody that was not, uh, of the light it, throughout my whole life. I'll, the only experience I've had with dark energy is people here on the planet. I've, I've met the dark energy right here on the planet. My mom was one of them. But I've never had them come through and them be a dark energy. So I can't answer that. I have to ask you this question because you bring it up. Your mother was a dark energy. You just identified her as that. Did she just suddenly get smart when she crossed over, or is that dark energy still there, or what? What is? How do you account for that? Uh, no, they're just they're unevolved. They're they're still, you know, they they leave. You leave from the same pr- 
premise, the same place, the same person that you are. You, you, that's what you take with you. Okay. Now, you know, all the metaphysical, mystical circles talk about, you know, these different realms that uh, exist on the other side. And uh, in, in trapped, earthbound, trapped uh, entities, uh, whether reported in NDEs or through mediums or poltergeists, etc. and so forth, I, I think, I guess where I'm going is Mark's question seems to suggest that he, he might have a concern that an entity of that type, um, you know, begins to communicate with you. What are your thoughts? Is that possible? Um, I, you know, Eldon, I've never had the experience. It's, it's never happened in my, in my world. It's never happened. I've never had it happen. Okay. Yeah. So he'd have to ask somebody else that, that question. The the closest thing I can come to, um, an energy getting stuck in, in my, in my reality, what I've experienced is somebody that I knew died and I knew, yet he was, uh, I knew he was going to get killed. I knew it a week before he died. And I said, quit driving. The, the car so fast don't quit driving so fast i know something's going to happen to you and he and he did indeed get in a car accident a head-on collision and died and he came back to me and physically materialized three separate times within a four-day stretch right after he died and he said to me he said i was in shock i i was like so uh, distraught that he let that he allowed this to happen when he knew better, and I was, I was distraught. I was I was angry with him. I the whole thing, you know. And he came back to me three times, physically materialized, and said to me, "He goes, please let me go." He goes, "Your the pain that you, that you have is so strong. I can't move on. I can't leave this dimension. You know, I can't move on." And I said, "Well, why did you do that?" I didn't even question why he materialized. I said, "Why did you do that? What were you thinking? You knew better than that, you know." And he and he went. I went into this rant, and he just left each time. And he, each time he came through, he said, "Why um, let you know? Release me. Let me go. Your pain is holding me back. It's so painful, Linda." And the third time, he he physically materialized again, and he then he left, and th- he wasn't dark energy he wasn't there was nothing wrong there okay he just wanted to be released because the the guilt that kept that held him to the earth plane is what really happened here from being irresponsible and getting himself killed like he did really just upset the apple cart with everybody in his life you know and so that was one of those experiences that i had but it wasn't a dark energy it was where he couldn't move on because I was so I was so distraught over it. Okay, All I hope right. that helps that person a little bit. Well, there's another question out of the chat room. A little more intense question, indeed. Many people are desperate. How about the Jewish people during the Holocaust? I am sure they asked for themselves with great intensity. This question would reflect on the first one that Richard put forward, obviously. Um, 
the, I, I suppose the answer to that is guides don't always come to you, uh, or do they always come to you? You're the expert, Linda. You know, I'll tell you, I, my, my ex-mother-in-law was Jewish and a very devout uh, Jewish woman. I, I loved her, okay? And she told me that when I was, you know, the work that I did, she said, you know, Linda, when she was alive, she said, I don't understand what it is you do, but I, but I just adore you. And, um, and then it was, I don't know, it was about 10 years later, I divorced her son. <laughs> and, and then she died. I didn't know she died like four years later. And she came through to me. I didn't even know she was, she had crossed over. She came through to me and she said, you know, she goes, I understand what it is you do now. Now that I've been released, these were her exact words. Now that I've been released from my body, I see things for what they are. And she said, I understand the work you do now. And she said, when, she goes, when I was, when I was still, when I was still there, she goes, I didn't believe in the afterlife. Now, when I, when I did some research on this, I realized, I, I, I came across a passage where the, I realized that Jewish people don't believe in the afterlife. And well, I went, not all. Some. Some uh, yeah. do. Some okay. don't. And, and I thought that was interesting, Eldon. And when she told me she didn't believe in the afterlife, but then she realized that she was my mother in a previous lifetime in Europe, in Germany. Okay? Mm. I just went, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> You know? So when I answer this uh, gentleman's question, what comes to mind is maybe the people in um, the, in that time, maybe a large part of them didn't believe in the afterlife because of their religion, and maybe that's why they that couldn't reach them. You know, interesting idea. That, that's right. only. You know, that's I would only... love to ask you many more questions because your guides have guided you through life. I'd like to ask: Did they guide you into a marriage that ended in a divorce? Did they guide you into serial entrepreneurship, building homes, to building websites? But the answer is we're yes. Out of time, <laughs> and I and I want you to have the ability to tell everybody how they can get a hold of you, get uh, copies yeah. of your book, etc. So you have 30 seconds. Let her go. Okay. The website is lindadeir.com, and they'll see the book there. They can just click on it. It'll take them straight to Amazon. And on that web, on my website, up on the top where the nav bars are, if they click on Linda's Weekly Guided Insights, we do... Um, a weekly guided insight, uh, channeled insight from my spirit guide angels every week that's delivered to your email box every Tuesday, and it's a gift from them to you. That's great. That's wonderful. Okay, again, that's Linda Deer, D-E-I-R dot com. We appreciate you joining us today, Linda. Well, we've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank all of you for joining us today. I hope you did indeed enjoy our show. And we'll join us again next week, same time and same place. And tell your friends. Let's have them join us as well. And remember, if you have comments on our show, please send them to us, all right? I, I, I like to put them on the air. We like to share both sides of all issues. Okay, until next time. Wherever you are in the world, remember, believing in yourself always matters.
Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com.